not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tucker Out. I'm Troy. And I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about esteemed documentarian Tucker Carlson. I'd like to challenge that one. <laughs> he's, uh, he, I mean, he's documentarian. Basi- he's maybe. basically the, the 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 David Attenborough of our of our era. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're. I'm looking at thumbnails for his documentaries right now on your screen share, and the title of this one is "Hungary Soros: The Fight for Civilization." I, I would want to hear Tucker with with his same like snarky demeanor and just narrating a nature documentary what was this manatee wearing <laughs> when it when it got eaten by the killer whale what what <laughs> um, yeah so uh tyler as you as you flagged um we are talking about this george soros documentary today uh the title of which is hungary versus soros the fight for civilization um tucker mentioned a while ago that they they were working on a george soros documentary and listeners listeners know that i've been eagerly awaiting that and when this came out it threw me through a loop a little bit um it was not what i expected it to be and we'll 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 kind of see what i mean by that as we go through it um it's only sort of about george soros um, well, yeah, it's about the Jews, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> the elites, sorry. Victor Orban does use the term globalists, so the, glo- the globalists are in play. Yeah, yeah, see. Um, <laughs> also, one one just little tidbit. When you first started sharing your screen, I, I read it as Hungry Soros, and I feel like it would be a better show if I continued pretending that this was a documentary about George Soros being a little peckish um, <laughs> N- and new mer- not what it's actually about. <laughs> N- N- new merch idea for Tucker store, a hungry, hungry Soros game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to get into this, the Soros documentary. Um, this documentary was filmed in August of 2021 while Tucker was visiting Hungary. And par- another part of my confusion was like, why did they wait six months to release this? Because this whole documentary was confusing. It, go- as I was watching it, I didn't understand why they had made, uh, why why they had made it this way, or what the point was supposed to be. But uh, I, I think I have gotten to the bottom of all that. So we'll we'll discuss at the end why this documentary exists as it does. But. Since we are going to be talking a little bit about George Soros, uh, Tyler, what do you know about our friend George? Um, you know, not much. I've I've only heard a little bit. I think he like eats babies or something. But in seriousness, I I only ever hear about him when conservatives are mad that he did something. So like he's, I actually didn't know he was uh, Jewish for a really long time. But he's just like a billionaire and. Um, the right blames him every time like something they don't like happens 
And that's like kind of the, ex- I don't know what he's a billionaire for. I don't know what he went into business doing or whatever, but like, he's just like a rich guy and yeah. he like, he like promotes liberal things. And that's what, that's why people, why conservatives are mad at him, but he's yeah. not like, he's not like exceptionally interesting. I don't think. Yeah. So um, to, to, to hear the right, tell it George Soros is responsible for all of society's ills. He's the mastermind behind Black Lives Matter and Antifa. He funded the migrant caravan. Um, he, uh, th- through his Open Society Foundation, he pushes for open borders across the world. Um, Based. <laughs> and, and George Soros has been a boogeyman on the right for a long time. I mean, we talked about in 2009, Glenn Beck did that two-part uh, episode about him on his show about George Soros, the puppet master. Um, and it, it, it kind of makes sense. Cause I mean, George Soros has been a prominent figure for like 40 years, 50 years. And there's no original ideas on the right, I guess. And as he mentioned, a lot of, a lot of the, the hatred on the right towards Soros is obviously rooted in anti-Semitism. Yeah. Um, there's also the fact that he is like a, I think it would be fair to characterize him as like left of center. Um, although he is by no means a radical leftist. I found an interview with, with him from like 2019 where he was complaining about how the, the American left has gotten more extreme. And he was like, we don't need to compete with the right wing for going, for getting extreme. Debatable. And, and I mean, like, and obviously he's not some kind of avowed communist because he's a fucking billionaire hedge fund investor. Right. So that would be <laughs> the, the worst communist who ever lived. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But what he is, is a, uh, he's probably one of the world's foremost champions of internationalist, multicultural, liberal capitalism. Okay. Um, in particular, the multiculturalism is, I think, what, what puts him on, on a warpath with so many people in Tucker's world. Can't have, and, can't have race mixing now, can we? Uh. A very short little background. Um, George Soros, born uh, George Swartz, on August 12th of 1930. He was born in Hungary. And uh, when he was 13 years old, the Nazis occupied Hungary. And so George Soros is a Holocaust survivor. It was actually as a result of Nazi occupation that his father uh, changed their last name from Schwartz to Soros because it sounded less Jewish. Okay. And within this period, like you'll hear accusations from people on the right that George Soros is a Nazi collaborator. And this when is, he literally was a victim of the Nazis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what that's what they're talking about when they say that. So, um, so Soros was nine when World War II began and 13 when the Nazis occupied Hungary. Um, so to, to protect their family, his father, like I said, changed the names of Soros and purchased papers identifying them as Christians. And then when George was 13, his father sent him for several weeks to pose as the Christian godson of a man who was in a, a safe position. He was a minor hum- Hungarian uh, government official whose last name was Bombach. Um, and Bombach was protecting a number of Hung- Hungarian Jews in a similar way. Essentially, he was, uh, he was taking in like younger Hungarian Jews and allowing them to act as like Christian relatives to protect them from the Nazis. Cool. 
So, and one of Bombach's duties under the Nazi occupation was to inventory properties that were seized from Jewish families. And on one occasion, he, he was given this three-day assignment because the Nazis had seized a large estate from a Jewish aristocrat. And Bombach was, was sent on this three-day assignment to catalog the seized inventory. And since he was going to be gone for three days and 13-year-old George Soros was staying with him at the time, um, Bombach took George along with him for that, uh, for that job. So during that time, George hung out with the estate staff. He like learned to ride horses and shit. He didn't participate in in any of the like confiscation of property, but it's because he went on this uh, on this mission when he was thirteen that he gets labeled a Nazi collaborator. Oh my god! Yeah, like to any sane person anywhere, a Holocaust survivor is like an honorable thing to be, and then. They turn it into he's actually a Nazi somehow. Yeah, it's it, it's it's ridiculous. Like it's of the lies about George Soros, of which there are many. I think that's probably the most shameful. <laughs> like that's fucked up. Yeah, that's unreal. So Soros survived Nazi occupation, obviously, and then in 1947 moved to the United Kingdom, where he studied at the London School of Economics and was awarded a BSc in philosophy in 1951. He went on to get a Master of Science in philosophy in 1954. After that, he started a, a career in business. He took jobs at a couple of banks until he eventually started a, his first hedge fund, which was called Double Eagle, in 1969. Profits from Double Eagle provided the seed money to start Soros Fund Management in 1970. Double Eagle was renamed Quantum Fund, and that was the principal firm that Soros advised. At its founding, Quantum Fund had $12 million in assets, um, but as of, two, as of 2011, that had grown to $25 billion, which constitutes the majority of Soros' overall net worth. Quite a bit of growth there. Yeah. So it was uh, a, a while later, after he got stupid rich, that he started getting involved in um, the philanthropy and the support of progressive causes. Most of his philanthropic work has been done through the Open Society Foundation. As of March 2021, Soros has donated more than $32 billion to the Open Society Foundation, of which $15 billion has been distributed. This represents 64% of his overall fortune. And so in terms of percentage of net worth, according to Forbes, he's uh, the world's most generous giver. Nice. The Open Society Foundation does a lot of stuff. Mostly um, their most prominent work has, had, has actually been in... Um, dismantling former Soviet states and pushing them toward uh, Western democracy in the 80s and 90s. Classic communist move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, them commies dismantling the Soviet Union. <laughs> <laughs> like the thing they're known for. He's been around a long time. And he's... He does he's... look like an ancient man just from this uh, this thumbnail here where we have like three quarters of his face visible yeah he's he's 91 and he's he's just like a left of center billionaire who is interested in building like i said sort of this like internationalist multicultural capitalist hegemony okay yeah and he's he's such a crazy lefty that he thinks that the democrats are crazy now is that what you said Some yeah of the, like in, in, the, the in that interview in that interview i read where he said that he also talked about how he would love to support moderate Republican candidates, but he doesn't because his donations would hurt them politically. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, those those crazy progressive Democrats who think that you should be able to see a doctor when you're sick. Man, the, those radicals. Sounded pretty Soviet there. Comment. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So by no means uh, a, a detailed biography of George Soros, but it gives an idea kind of what, what we're dealing with here. So as we get into this this documentary that Tucker put out, I will say this big chunks of this are essentially Tucker and Hungary part two. Um, that was episode 25 of our show. I believe you talked about Tucker's visit to Hungary for a long ass time. I remember being very shocked how cool he was with fascism over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if you have not listened to our Tucker in Hungary episode, I recommend that you listen to that first, at least the first hour um, where we kind of talk about uh, Hungary's history and how Viktor Orban has over his decade in power, solidified power and uh, undermined democracy in that country. There's a lot of relevant context there that I'm not going to retread here just for uh, the sake of, you know, it, it, it's in our catalog. We've spent a long time going over it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do recommend listening to that if you haven't before, before we dive into this. We'll probably come as a little surprised that Viktor Orban, Hungary's fascist prime minister, has done a really good job of making a scapegoat for all of Hungary's problems out of George Soros. In particular, in 2015, during the uh, the European migrant crisis, I, I hate that phrasing, but I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Um, or- Orban made Soros his central campaign issue for re-election. He put out billboards that said, don't let Soros have the last laugh. There are signs in the streets that say, will George Soros attack us again? Or- Orban's argument was essentially that the reason the EU was pushing Hungary to take in all these migrants was because of George Soros' sinister influence because he wanted to destroy Hungary with a wave of migration. The fucking headcanon of these people. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's so, like, there's so many steps. Yeah. Why can't it just be people need help and you're pretty close to Syria right now? Orban did a good job through 2015 and after of turning George Soros into Hungary's kind of public enemy number one. Uh, the Hungarian parliament passed what's called the Stop Soros Act which uh, made it illegal to aid or abet illegal immigration into the country. Um, wow. Yeah. That's pretty blatant. <laughs> and uh, that, that's all especially ironic because George Soros is responsible for Victor Orban's political career. When Orban was a young man and uh, uh, he made his name as kind of a libertarian anti-communist radical or anti-communist protester, um, Soros funded Viktor Orban's education because he he was impressed by him and saw him as a, a useful figurehead in helping transition Hungary out of the Soviet bloc. Well, that makes this whole thing even more fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's fair to say Viktor Orban probably would not be prime minister of Hungary right now were it not for George Soros's money. Wow. Okay. So I think Public that... Public number one. Yeah. <laughs> So um, I think that's all of the the necessary context up front here. So let's go ahead and jump into this fucking thing. And I'm I'm gonna skip over the intro before the title card just because it's it's mostly chaotic images of of uh, groups of migrants in distress along with flashes of of Soros in the shadows and a few out of context clips of him <laughs> like it, it it's it, it it's not good audio. <laughs> Scary stuff. 
So then uh, let's skip to after the title card here. Oh, and they slice in like images from Drag Queen Story Hour for some reason. What? Yeah. Um, So I'm going to skip the intro and we'll get into Tucker's opening here after the title card. George Soros is a billionaire currency trader who has spent decades waging a kind of war, political, social and demographic war on the West. So already... (laughs) Uh, it took 20 seconds. <laughs> a demographic war on the West is what George Soros has been waging. Um, so within 20 seconds, Tucker has turned this into a great replacement thing. It was literally his first sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Jesus. Uh, <laughs> George Soros is waging a demographic war on the West by encouraging the migration of all these non-white people. That's one of the central theses of this documentary. Yeah, so so translation, a billionaire Jew is I don't I don't even know it directly funding brown people coming into your white neighborhood. That's the <laughs> that's the argument. Like that's yes. what you're supposed to take away. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be very clear about that as this thing goes on. <laughs> Jesus. Through Soros' network of non-governmental organizations, he spent billions trying to eliminate national borders to oust democratically elected leaders and install ideologically aligned puppets into positions of power. Soros' efforts have been remarkably effective. In the United States, he has installed radical prosecutors who refuse to enforce the law. In Europe, he's tried to topple democratically elected governments in Georgia, Romania, and Ukraine. He spent vast sums of money encouraging Europe and the United States to accept millions of foreign migrants. This this guy sounds pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> Tucker first mentioned that prosecutors thing, um, the, the Soros prosecutors narrative, which is usually the context in which George Soros's name comes up on Tucker's show. Um, the idea that he's he's installed all these all these lunatic prosecutors like uh, George Gascon or Kim Fox or Lenny Krasner. Um, who are refusing to enforce the law. And that's the reason for this crime wave. Um, it, the Open Society Foundation has supported the campaigns of uh, a handful of these progressive prosecutors. Um, Billionaires do that for like everyone who gets elected. Yeah. Yeah. It, th- this is by no means the only, uh, the, the only NGO money to be found in, in our justice system. Um but we, we we've talked we've talked about the Soros prosecutors thing at times before. What I'm more interested in from that clip was what Tucker said next: that Soros has tried to overthrow topple Demo- democratic, yeah, yeah. T- uh, you're good to topple democratically elected leaders in Georgia, Romania, and Ukraine. So the situation with Romania is complicated and involves memes about George Soros paying dogs to protest. The what? Yeah, and uh, Liviu Dragnia, the leader of Romania's Social Democratic Party, has also accused Soros of trying to have him assassinated in 2018. Um, So that that whole thing is sort of messy, and I don't know enough about it to discuss it competently. So we'll kind of leave Romania be for a minute. (laughs) But regarding Georgia and Ukraine, I do know exactly what Tucker is referring to there. That was an allusion to Soros's uh, alleged involvement in the color revolutions. So this is going to be a criminally short overview of those revolutions, but in the simplest terms, here's what happened. 
In Georgia, the Rose Revolution of 2003 was brought on as a result of disputed parliamentary elections. There had been concerns about election integrity in the run-up to voting. And and, uh, then U.S. President George W. Bush even sent the former Secretary of State James Baker to meet with the the Georgian president, Edward Shepard-Nazi, with a letter from Bush stressing the importance of a free and fair election. When voting day came on November 3rd, an international election observation mission concluded that the elections fell short of international standards for democratic elections. Shevardnadze's opponent, Mikhail Saskashvili, claimed to have won the election, which was supported by exit polls. This led to widespread protests against Shevardnadze, uh, against the Shevardnadze government, eventually leading to his ouster and a rerun of the parliamentary elections. There was a fair amount of, of Soros money involved in the Rose Revolution. Soros supported Saakashvili in the elections. Uh, he provided some of the funding for election monitors, and the Open Society Foundation participated in the creation of the Kumara, a student group that was heavily involved in the protests. Overall, Open Society and other NGOs with connections to Soros spent about $42 million supporting the efforts to remove Shevardnadze. Furthermore, after the revolution, a handful of individuals who'd worked for those organizations wound up in positions in the new government. For his part, Soros downplays his role in the Rose Revolution, saying in 2005, the role of the foundation and my personal role has been greatly exaggerated. I think you here must know more than anybody that the Rose Revolution was entirely the work of Georgian society. So that's a really important point that we're going to circle back to in a minute. But first, with regard to Ukraine. In Ukraine, Tucker is referencing the 2004 Orange Revolution. Like in Georgia, the Orange Revolution came in the the immediate aftermath of a runoff election in 2004, which was rife with allegations of corruption, voter intimidation, and electoral fraud. And again, the subsequent protests were prompted by reports from domestic and foreign election monitors that the vote had been rigged in favor of Viktor Yanukovych. There were widespread protests, strikes, and sit-ins, ultimately resulting in a second election in which Yanukovych's opponent, Viktor Yushchenko, was declared the winner. And again, some of the NGOs involved in supporting the Orange Revolution were backed by the Open Society Foundation, though even that connection is a bit weaker here than in the case of the Rose Revolution. And and like I said, that is a criminally short overview of these events, um, but it, it it's it's the necessary context to, for the point I need to make here which is, uh, we're talking about this because of Tucker's claim that Soros tried to overthrow democratically elected leaders in these countries. This is important for three reasons. First, in the cases of both the Rose Revolution and the Orange Revolution, the overthrown leaders were actively engaged in efforts to subvert democracy and undermine their elections. Tucker needs to conveniently, conveniently ignore this fact for his narrative to make any sense. Two, in both of these cases, the revolution's outcomes were a political setback for Vladimir Putin. The Kremlin had supported Shevardnadze in Georgia. After his ouster, Georgia pursued a pro-Western foreign policy, with European and Euro-Atlantic integration as a priority. This caused tensions between Georgia and Russia that continue to this day. And in Ukraine, Putin even went in person to campaign for Yanukovych in the run-up to the election. The Kremlin considered Yanukovych's defeat a loss so significant that it led to a shift in Russia's overall foreign policy. It was at this point that, P- that Putin's government adopted a more hostile, uh, more hostile posture toward the United States and the European Union. 
And since they felt that they had lost kind of the information war and in, in failing to get Yanukovych into power, that's what led Russia to establish Russia Today, their state-run propaganda network. Given what we're seeing on Tucker's show now, with his de facto pro-Russia stance on Ukraine, I do find it interesting that the democratically elected leaders he's, he's claiming that Soros overthrew were, in both cases, the favorites of Vladimir Putin. And that brings us to the third point. The entire narrative that Soros is behind these revolutions is itself Russian propaganda. When Soros said that uh, his role in the Rose Revolution had been minimal and that it was the work of Georgian society, that was in response to Russian state media promoting claims that Soros had been behind the revolutions, that uh, his machinations had seeded them and uh, he had orchestrated the event. The reason for that narrative is to undermine the idea that the the people of these countries chose a more democratic anti-Russian government um, of their own accord. It's essentially stripping these people of agency, which helps Putin make claim to uh, some sort of rightful ownership over their lands. Okay, well, that was a lot. What I wanted to get to here is that the way Tucker is talking about these events, he's, he's basically parroting Russian imperialist propaganda. Not good bad so then we're only a minute into this <laughs> good lord <laughs> so then uh continuing on here um tucker he's going to talk a little bit about how great and beautiful hungary is and we get a, a call back to to something that you might remember from our hungary episode here all right his best efforts one unlikely country is fighting back that country is Hungary, the very place George Soros was born. Here's how they're doing it. Just landed in Budapest, capital of Hungary, on the Danube in Central Europe. It's about the size of Indiana, about the population of Michigan. Like the Midwest, it's pretty flat here. This is a, an outpost of Western civilization in the middle of Europe. The first thing you notice when you get to Budapest, the capital of Hungary, is that it's different from what you're used to. The airport is covered in ads paid for by the government encouraging people to have big families. The architecture is old and well-preserved. It's beautiful. There's graffiti on the streets, but it's mostly conservative. Hungarians and the people who run their country feel tremendous pride. They have a strong sense of identity, and that's hard-earned. Like a lot of buildings in the central square in, in Budapest, the one on the Pest side of the Danube, there are bullet holes. And they are a reminder of how many times this country has been dominated by foreign powers. Tucker loves the bullet holes in Hungarian buildings. He talks about that shit all the time. <laughs> oh my god, that's so weird. I had forgotten about that until now. It's also good to know that Tucker is apparently cool with graffiti as long as it says fuck liberals. Is that <laughs> is is that what he meant? Yeah, I um I was a little confused. Like normally he's extremely opposed to, to any, anything, to, you know, any kind of defacing of property, but like, did he mean conservative? Like there isn't much of it or conservative, like the values of the people doing it align with me. So it's okay. Uh, the, the, the latter, like it's, it's conservative, really? it's uh, ideologically conservative graffiti. Like the, the, the image they put, there um it said it just said fuck liberals on like a highway wall <laughs> oh okay yeah um 
Yeah, the uh, the bit rate is a little bit low, so I only get like a couple frames. Uh, okay, which makes this harder. But you know what can you do? <laughs> yeah, I I was I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. I thought he just meant like there's only a little bit, like like it's conservative. They don't they don't have it everywhere. <laughs> there's just you know. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So uh, in this next bit, we're gonna meet um, one of the principal characters of this documentary, Rod Dreer. I do not like Rodrier very much. We'll talk about him, but let's let's go ahead and let Tucker in. Well, I don't think Tucker ever actually says his name, but he's the guy who's going to be talking here. Okay. There are only about 9 million of these people, Hungarians, in the world, and they have a long experience of being occupied. The Ottoman Turks, Muslims, occupied them several hundred years ago. They were under the fingers of the Habsburg Empire. After World War I, the Trianon Treaty was imposed on them by the victorious allies, which severed two-thirds of Greater Hungary away from the ethnic Hungarian part. And then after uh, World War II, they were occupied by the Soviets and ruled by the communists for another 40 years. So these are people who know what it's like to have their country under foreign domination. Foreign threats today are different. They're not necessarily foreign armies. They're NGOs, in many cases led by George Soros. Viktor Orban and the Fidesz party have correctly identified him and what he stands for as a threat to Hungary's national sovereignty. So that was Rod Dreher. He was an author. That was all I got. <laughs> yeah, so... Rod Dreher, he's he's an editor at the American Conservative, which is a, a shitty website. He's also the author of a couple of books, including The Benedict Option. The the premise of the Benedict Option, I, I listened to an audiobook years ago. Um it's essentially that conservatives have lost the culture war and that American institutions are aligned against Christianity uh in a way that is irrevocable. So what American Christians need to do in order to preserve their their values is to retreat from society and band together in like separatist Christian enclaves. Roger has also spent a lot of time recently in Hungary. So in April of 2021, uh, Roger went to Hungary on a four-month fellowship at the Danube Institute, which was a, a, a right-wing think tank with close ties to Viktor Orban's government. And while he was there, Roger fell in love with Hungary. About 20% of his blog posts since April have been about how great Hungary is. And so okay. he, uh, and he, he was in Hungary at the, time, at the same time as Tucker, which we'll talk a little bit more about toward the end. And I believe he's actually back there now. He was back in the U.S. for a bit, but I, I think he's in Hungary again currently. And in case you couldn't tell by the... Uh, interest in authoritarian governments and the Christian nationalism, Rodrier sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, those are generally pretty good indicators, you know? In, uh, in 2018, Dreer called African immigration to Europe a barbarian invasion. Also in 2018, after then-President Trump made that comment about how we don't want people from shithole countries coming here, Rodrier did make a point to condemn the president's use of profanity, but defended the point he was making. And to uh, to illustrate that point, he suggested that Americans should object to Section 8 housing being built in their neighborhoods because, quote, you don't want the destructive culture of the poor imported into your neighborhood. In 2019, 
Following the Christchurch mosque shootings, Dreher condemned the shooter's actions, but went on to clarify that he thought the shooter had, quote, legitimate, realistic concerns about declining numbers of ethnic, of ethnic Europeans. That doesn't mean that, even if that's true, that doesn't mean that that's like a valid concern. Okay, so so lots of lots of ultranationalism, you know, what what you'd come to expect from from a fascist government. He's a he's he's a racist piece of shit um, and a Christian fundamentalist, but he's also currently being sued for defaming a fifteen year old girl. What the fuck? <laughs> so, um, this happened last year. Did you hear about the uh, the rainbow cake girl? No. Okay. So, <laughs> rainbow cake, rainbow cape, cake. Um, okay. All right. So this is about a girl named Kayla Kenny. She attended a private Christian school in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It was the the Whitfield Academy in Kentucky. Kayla was expelled from Whitfield on January 6th after her mother had posted a photo on Facebook of Kayla wearing a rainbow sweater and eating a rainbow birthday cake. Yikes. Yeah. I, I, think, I think I see where this is going, but... <laughs> Whitfield's really. The head of the school sent the family an email with a screenshot of the post, writing, The Whitfield Academy administration has been made aware of a recent picture posted on social media, which demonstrates a posture of morality and cultural acceptance contrary to that of Whitfield Academy's beliefs. We made it clear that any further promotion, celebration, or any other action and attitudes counter to Whitfield's philosophy will not be tolerated. Uh, school officials later told Kayla that she should have refused the cake because of its color. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Christians are the most oppressed class in America, huh? Yeah, they, so they have, they have their own <laughs> private schools where they can openly say we don't accept <laughs> your, we, we we can't tolerate your your cultural acceptance here. All the institutions in this country are aligned against Christians. Dan. <laughs> yeah, yes, all the institutions in America are aligned against the only religion that has national holidays. <laughs> Like multiple of them. Um, Kayla and her parents obviously sued the school, but they also included Rod Dreher for defamation in this lawsuit because following the controversy, Dreher posted four articles about the story, the first of which was titled Rainbow Cake Girl, The True Story. Here, Dreher, Dreher writes about how uh, the media is misrepresenting the story to try and defame the Christian school. Dreher writes that he has talked to people close to the situation, which I, I assume to mean like other parents at the school, um, mm -hmm. and says that he's learned that Kayla had been disciplined for other things before, such as having a vape. And in fact, she had gotten in trouble for supporting LGBT causes before and had even harassed other students by promoting bisexuality. Harassed other students yeah. by promoting bisexuality. Okay. Kayla sounds cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, the, the, the exact quote from Dreher was, I'm trying to be delicate here, but I can tell you that she has transgressed against other students on this front to promote bisexuality. For example, she... <laughs> for example... She How do they say this with a straight face? How do they do it? <laughs> she allegedly drew rainbows and wrote slogans like Buy Pride and Other Kids Papers. Kayla has been presenting herself as gay on, his, on, on her Instagram account. 
where this gets uh, where 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 this got Rod into some trouble is that he then in this article posted several pictures he'd taken from Kayla's Instagram account. He he reposts these pictures from her Instagram account in this article with descriptions like here is Kayla on the right dressed as a male to take a female to another school's dance. He he posted other pictures such as so once she posted of her throwing her bible in the dryer. It kind of sounds like Kayla doesn't want to be at this school. Yeah, it might be good that she got expelled, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then Rod writes, Kayla Kenny put all this into into the public domain while attending this conservative Christian school. Whitfield is connected to a local Southern Baptist church. Parents who send their kids to the school have to sign an agreement before their child can enter, and the child has to sign it too. So it... He's essentially trying to make the argument here that the school was justified in expelling Kayla and in doing so used a bunch of pictures from this 15 year old's Instagram account to talk about how, look, guys, she's totally gay. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, so Roger is a piece of shit. Yeah. And uh, he, he's going to be popping up a lot in this documentary. We'll, right. we'll talk a little bit more about his involvement at the end. Then here, Tucker, he's, we've got a couple of clips from his uh, his interview with Viktor Orban. He's a serious actor of the Hungarian politics. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban met with us in his library for an interview. He has a network, more than 60 organizations here in Hungary, supported by him regularly, all against the government. More than 60? More than 60, all against, all against the government. But he doesn't live here. Sometimes he is, sometimes not. Orban has been in politics for 30 years, but he seems surprisingly normal. He often drives himself to work. He has dinner in Budapest without security. Every Thursday, he spends the day reading. Viktor Orban is a very serious politician and an intellectual. He's the sort of man, the sort of political leader who has taken these populist nationalist instincts and turned them into effective policy. Orban rose to global prominence in the late 1980s as a student anti-communist political reformer. At the time, Orban was a Soros protege. He attended Oxford University on a Soros Foundation scholarship. But as his political career progressed, so did his views. Orban became a Hungarian nationalist. He and George Soros became bitter enemies. To catalog how Orban's views have progressed over the years, it seems remarkably uh, opportunistic considering it's always in in alignment with whatever national temperament he can seize on to get more power. Weird. Um, But yeah, he, he went from being a, an anti-communist liberal to a libertarian to a social conservative to now a Hungarian nationalist. And as Tucker may mention to you there, his early career was kickstarted by Soros's uh, grant money. And then uh, Rod there was, was very, uh, very positive about uh, populist nationalism, which definitely. Yes. <laughs> doesn't have a history of going poorly or anything. Yeah, I, I can't think of a single time. I, uh, <laughs> I can't um, think of at least three times off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit here because uh, it's mostly just a lot of like, oh, look how great Victor Warbon is. He's such a strong, wise leader. So we're going to get into some complaints about that darn media. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we're in downtown Budapest, and what you see here is a sign saying, will George Soros attack our country again? He is the condensed symbol of everything the Hungarian right hates. George Soros is a very talented Hungarian man anyway. But we are not only talented for good things, but we are talented for bad things as well. So he is that kind of man who did not respect the tradition of this country. He has a philosophical, ideological conviction, and they would like to force it on us to follow his track to transform our life. Unlike the threat from the Soviets or the Ottoman Empire, the threat posed by George Soros and his nonprofit organizations is much more subtle and harder to detect. Soros creates powerful storylines by laundering his political opinions through the NGOs he finances. These positions are then repeated uncritically and with high levels of aggression by media around the world. Why is everyone afraid of an 86-year-old man? So who is George? So at this point, he's playing a montage of some American media talking about the backlash against George Soros. Yeah, and like he's he's acting like George Soros is the only billionaire who has like his hands in public policy that's literally every billionaire dude yeah it, i mean it, you know weird i don't think tucker's ever going to make a documentary about the cokes or the mercers or no. thomas w smith or... no yeah soros and why do republicans find him so scary it's getting near halloween so i want to start by trying to scare you okay ready george soros does that spook you? Some of the critiques of him are flat-out anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic. And anti-Semitism. His Jewishness. The media dutifully pushed George Soros' agenda on immigration and culture, while at the same time defending him from all criticism. They claim any attack on George Soros is anti-Semitic. Soros himself is an opponent of Israel. Dude. Dude. You, you can't be serious. He just played clips of liberals making fun of people for being afraid of George Soros while you're playing fucking heartbeat horror music (laughs) (laughs) over over your George Soros clips. Oh my God. Does he not get it's a joke? It's just, it, it's, it's such an, it, it, this is such a snake eating its own tail of like the, cause it is a classic (laughs) anti-Semitic, trope that the jews control the media and so then he's like well look the media keeps saying that these attacks on george soros are anti-semitic and that's because he controls them oh my god it's it's ridiculous that's so funny (laughs) and as to the as to his what he threw out there about george soros being an opponent of israel um he he's referring in particular to something that george soros wrote in his 1991 book Quote, my Jewishness did not express itself in a sense of tribal loyalty that would have led me to support Israel. On the contrary, I took pride in being in the minority, an outsider who is capable of seeing the other point of view. So what you're saying is he's he's a race traitor. His philanthropic support has has not focused on Jewish people specifically or on Israel, but has gone to groups like Human Rights Watch that are critical of Israel's human rights record and treatment of Palestinians. So that that that's kind of the basis of the you call me an anti-Semite? George Soros is an opponent of Israel, which you can have criticisms of Israel's record on human rights without being anti-Semitic. Yeah, we know that conservatives struggle with these things. Yeah. So then they, uh, they, they complain a little bit more about George Soros controls the media, which approximately like half 
at least, may- maybe more, of all American media is sympathetic to fervent attacks on George Soros. So if George Soros controls the media, he, uh, he let's call him a pretty hands-off puppet master. He's he's not very beautifully <laughs> pulling those strings. <laughs> A hands-off puppet master, so just like a puppet <laughs> on the floor, not talking. <laughs> this is the worst puppet show I've ever been to. <laughs> Implying that there are good puppet shows. Potter Puppet Pals was pretty fun. Am I aging myself? <laughs> yes, then let's skip a little bit past some of this media business and get into um, how George Soros is trying to destroy the West with waves of immigration. Soros opposes Orban because Soros opposes nation states. It's not a coincidence that Soros' flagship NGO is called the Open Society Foundation. The best way to transform a country is to open it up to the world. In 2015, Soros got his chance to play a role in transforming the entire continent of Europe. The refugee debate is very hot right now. The refugee crisis is putting Europe on edge. Leaked documents show that in 2015, Soros spent huge amounts of money on pro-refugee propaganda, which then appeared in global media outlets. Soros also lobbied European governments directly to get them to open their borders to impoverished people from around the world. So those huge amounts of money that those leaked documents revealed Soros spent, that was uh, $600,000. It's like nothing. That's like nothing. Yeah. yeah, like that. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of money for you and me. For like yeah, a, yeah. a billionaire to be financing a media operation, that is nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is his net worth, did you say 25 billion? What is that? 25,000 million billion. Div- uh, oh, I did this backwards. Um, 600,000 divided by 25 billion. Oh god, it's smaller than I even anticipated. That is two thousandths of one percent <laughs> of his net worth. Um, okay, so anyway, numbers aside, um, I I really hate the framing here. I this is probably. Uh, this isn't like a groundbreaking take or anything, but like pro-refugee propaganda, like I I don't I don't like the use of the word propaganda in this context because like yeah. he's just like advocating for a position that Tucker disagrees with, so it's propaganda. Right. But, but like this thing that Tucker's making right now, if you call that propaganda, you know, you're a you're a elite shill or whatever. Um I don't know. And he's just like playing clips of brown people. And I think it's supposed to make his audience uncomfortable. Yeah. He, they just sliced in a bunch of footage here of waves of people who are presumably migrants. All we can really tell from these clips is that there are groups with non-white people. Yeah. And like they kind of look like kids, like not, not like little kids, but like teenagers. It's like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And, we're, and we're supposed to be scared of them. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very gross. Yeah. Um, another important point on those leaked documents Tucker was talking about that reveal Soros spent a whopping six hundred thousand uh, <laughs> dollars on pro immigrant propaganda. Um, those documents were leaked by uh, DC leaks, which, if you don't remember, is uh, a Russian front hacking group. 
so DC leaks, they were established in 2016. They're the ones who are responsible for the, the leaking the DNC emails. Okay. Various cybersecurity research firms have concluded that DC leaks is almost certainly a front for the Russian cyber espionage group Fancy Bear. In July of 2018, an indictment was made against 12 Russian GRU military officers, which alleged that DC leaks was part of a Russian military operation to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. So the, the, the documents that Tucker is championing here is proof that Tucker is supporting these narrative, these uh, pro-immigrant narratives come from DC leaks. That's not to say necessarily that they're fake. It just means that Tucker, uh, it, in promoting the this narrative is actively supporting Russian propaganda again for the second time in the first 10 minutes of this documentary. Sensing a pattern here. With regard to the, um, the, the line about George Soros opposes nation states, that's not true. Um, oh, I, I was going to ask about that. because I'm like, I don't know if that's true, but I strongly doubt it. Yeah. Um, no, D- George Soros is not particularly a abolished nations guy. And Tucker was like, it's no coincidence. It's called the Open Society Foundation. Um, Talk about a stretch. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that name is inspired by, by Karl Popper's book, The Open Society and Its Enemies. Karl Popper's d- definition of the open society was one in which an individual is confronted with personal decisions as opposed to a magical or tribal or collectivist society. So essentially, it's uh, a philosophical position against a groupthink, which Tucker should be all about. It's an emphasis on individualism, which Karl Popper then extends into a defense of democracy, as he he considers democracy the only system that provides an institutional mechanism for reform and leadership change without the need for bloodshed. So that's the concept that the Open Society Foundation is named for. It's uh, it's not about dissolving nation states. It's it's just about um, protecting individual autonomy. And they did. We are proposing that Britain should resettle up to 20,000 Syrian refugees over the rest of this parliament. Migration has to be legalized. Britain is a country of extraordinary compassion. I want to once again commend Angela for courageous leadership. Ich sage ganz einfach, Deutschland ist ein starkes Land. Of up to a thousand men groping, often robbing women. Always standing up for our values. Crime and violence skyrocketed. So did rape. Overnight, Western Europe was transformed. Alone among nations, Hungary said no. Orban refused to let them stay in Hungary. Approaching a secret military base. We've talked before about the the lie that there was this massive surge in crime and rape as a result of the 2015 um, wave of migration in Europe. That is not true. In fact, we talked about that on our very first episode, I believe. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Tucker is calling out uh, propaganda and then proceeds to say immigration is bad while showing pictures of immigrants getting beaten up by police. Yes. Yeah. Um, With the, the, I believe the intended takeaway is that migrants are criminals and you can't let them in or they'll come and rape your daughter. So that's pretty gross, Tucker. 
And again, there was never any migrant crime wave. Most of the studies around this have focused on on the the two European nations that were the most generous toward migrants, which were Germany and Sweden. Um, Germany had the highest total number of asylum seekers, and Sweden took in the most migrants per capita. So in terms of Sweden, crime trends there had remained steady or declined both before and after the migration explosion, which in Sweden actually began in 2012. The Swedish National Council for Crime Prevention reported in 2017 that in 2015, the first year of Europe's influx, the number of offenses against the person, which include assaults, threats, sexual offenses, robbery, fraud, or harassment, were approximately the same level as in 2005. So it's hard to see any migrant-caused Swedish crime wave in those figures. The same flat or declining trend held for almost all specific types of crime. The one exception um, was sex offenses, which we can circle back to in a second. As far as Germany, the migrant wave's effect on German crime rates was negligible, as revealed in a series of analyses of local police data from early 2016. For example, a large majority of refugees who are registered never show up in police records. In Cologne, only 5 of 1,100 registered Syrians, or 0.5%, had been in trouble with the law between October of 2014 and November of 2015. 0.5? Yes. Jesus um, Christ. That's, that's nothing. I mean, it is... I feel like, I feel like more it is, natives commit crimes than that, than 0.5% of people. Oh, definitely. But like, Tyler, to be fair, it is greater than the share of George Soros' net worth he spent on pro-immigrant propaganda. <laughs> It's like a hundred times more. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The German Federal Criminal Police Office concluded in 2015 that, quote, on average, refugees commit as many or as few crimes as the local population. From 2014 to 2015, the refugee population increased 440%, while the number of refugee crimes committed rose only by 79%. Here, there wasn't even a correlation. While the offenses increased significantly in early 2015, they stagnated in late 2015, precisely when most refugees arrived in Germany. The the government concluded that, quote, the vast majority of asylum seekers commit no offenses. Like overall, overall in Europe, like think they're people. Absolutely. And like overall in Europe, um, in this period, there was like a slight bump uh, uptick in aggregate crime that within two years had fallen below uh, pre, pre, pre-migrant wave levels. As far as, far as the, the rape thing specifically, it is not true that immigrants create, uh, create rape offenses in, in any greater share than the average population. It looks that way in Sweden. If you look at the data, it looks as though after the immigrant wave, the number of rapes went up dramatically. But that's not actually due to any increase in the commission of crime. It's because the definition of rape was legally expanded in 2013. Wow, uh, that's a that's a slimy talking point to then go and use against immigrants. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it, essentially, certain acts that were previously classified as sexual exploitation were now classified as rape. Um, that includes sex with persons who were asleep or intoxicated. Prior to this change, those hadn't th- those offenses hadn't been considered rape under the Swedish legal code. Sounds like a good change. Yeah, absolutely. And the changing definition of rape maps much better to the data than do the refugee numbers. Um, so it's the, 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 there's no correlation there. All right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. The, the one area where you could make the argument that increased immigration leads to increased rape is in the rape of immigrants. 
immigrant women and children are victimized at higher rates than the general population when arriving in new countries, uh, often by border or government officials. And it's it's not necessarily hard to understand why when they're they're new to a country, their immigration status might be uncertain. They probably don't speak the language. They're familiar with the laws. They may not even know how to report a crime. Um, predators tend to prey on vulnerable people, and you can't really get more vulnerable than that. Are you are you telling me right now that a group of marginalized people are statistically more likely to be victimized? I know it's it's hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> These are real heady concepts we're dealing with here. Um, but yeah, it, t- t- Tucker Tucker is claiming here that the the increased immigration in 2015 due to the Syrian refugee crisis led to this massive increase in crime and rape, and that's just not true. He is he is lying. So then at this point, this is my favorite part of the documentary. Um, Tucker is going to take a helicopter tour where he gets to look over Hungary's border fence. So th- there is going to be some uh, some helicopter noise in these next few clips, but it's not too bad. Uh, on the outskirts of Budapest. Pest. Most European Union member states belong to an area called the Schengen Zone. They have an agreement that allows for free passage across European borders of migrants. Hungary is on the southern edge of that zone. That means it's the first country that migrants arrive at when they walk from the Middle East. In 2015, hundreds of thousands of migrants showed up at the Hungarian border. Viktor Orban had a simple solution, build a fence and enforce the country's laws. Hungary is not the richest country in the world. It's not even the richest country in Central Europe. And somehow they managed to build a border wall in about 20 minutes. Burn. (laughs) Hungary began building the fence in June of 2015. By September, it was done. Illegal crossings immediately dropped to almost zero. You can see a military installation on the right side. This is where the recreation forces and the military personnel are going out to the border. Well, they're serious about their border. It's not a high-tech border wall. It's a double fence with a road in the middle. But the difference is they're willing to protect it. They're not kidding. It's their border. They control it because they're a country. It's also really pretty. There we go. The other thing you notice is because they control the border, it's not filthy. I mean, this is nature, and it's not been spoiled. There's not graffiti or garbage or people lying in heaps on the ground. Okay. Because the border's controlled, there's not a humanitarian disaster. Chaos creates humanitarian disaster. People suffer. They die. They expire of dehydration in the desert. They get raped by coyotes. That's not happening here. Wait, so what does he think happens when when Hungary turns immigrants away? Right, yeah. Like, people are fleeing humanitarian disasters if they're refugees. Or the humanitarian that... crisis is not helping them when they need help. Yeah, that that is a remarkable work of mental gymnastics there, that because the border's not crowded and, quote, there aren't people lying in heaps on the ground, then this is the better alternative than letting them flee danger? Also, the border is really pretty. Ser- seriously, offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, with everything I know about Tucker, I bet he's never seen anything more beautiful in his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> they have a fence around the whole country, and they don't let anybody through. This is better than green M and M. Hold on, I need a few minutes in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> God. Okay. 
But yeah, what happens when you don't control the border is that people expire dehydration and get raped by coyotes. In uh, view, which is which is the problem. Yes. And yeah, he wants them to go away and die where he can't see them. And like, if we had a reasonable immigration process where it wasn't difficult for people to uh, escape danger and come to a country where they're safe or have better opportunity then there wouldn't ha- there wouldn't have to be networks of coyotes that could victimize them you know what i mean yeah right when this was not controlled they had close to 200,000 migrants from iraq afghanistan iran and countries not even in europe cuba for example fly to serbia and then walk across the government official described it as like a travel agency serbia was in effect acting as a travel agency for the world's poor, you know, they're not just protecting their own interests, but the interests of the rest of the continent. Unfortunately, the leadership of the rest of the continent isn't on board because they hate themselves. For daring to defend his own country, the European Union punished Viktor Orban and Hungary. Just seeing live pictures of the buffer zone on the Hungary-Serbian border. Hungary decided to, to build uh, what they call a technical obstacle. This is not uh, requested by the European Union. The EU is currently proceeding with Article 7, which could invoke disciplinary action and the suspension of some EU membership rights. As usual, Orban's government held the line. How many people are you now catching trying to come across your southern border? From January, 50,000 people tried to make it to reach the territory of the European Union, but all of them were stopped by the fans and the whole system. How many? Oh, all of them? You don't think any made it? No. Not at all. Pretty great. 100% secure. We absolutely just watched Tucker come. And that that guy that guy's last name was Orban. Was that yeah, I, like Victor's son or something? No, so I did look into it because I uh, the, the guy was like a a government official whose last name was also Orban, but I there there is no relation. Okay, so that must just be like a common Hungarian last name or something. Yeah, because w- when I saw that name pop up, I was like, it, is this like a nepotism thing? But no, he he's just some guy. Okay. Um, all right. It, Nepotism would be the least of Hungary's problems, to be fair. But it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, I, I know our listeners couldn't experience it, but when when uh, Belas Orban told Tucker that uh, fifty thousand attempted pe- people who tried to cross the border zero made it through, Tucker had the creepiest fucking smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> but I also get the sense that that's like the most genuine happiness he's felt zero people got help that's amazing yeah a million people from nations across the globe africa and the middle east claimed asylum in europe in 2015 often they were coached on how to enter by soros funded ngos yeah i think we should put that up hungarian border patrol took us on a tour of the fence so there was a huge debate in the united states about how to build our border wall and how high tech should it be this is an effective border barrier, and it's not high-tech. There are three components. The top is concertina wire, which has been manufactured for an awful lot since the First World War. The second is the electrified fence, which goes up about maybe four and a half feet. And this is the third part. These two wires, these two black wires, are motion sensors. And so when this fence moves, whether a roebuck, a deer ran into it, or a migrant from Syria is trying to climb over it, it triggers the cameras, and in the observation center, the personnel can tell whether it's a person or an animal, and if it's a person, they dispatch border guards immediately. Officers are stationed every few miles. 
When migrants attempt to cross, agents arrive almost immediately. While we were at the border, two migrants attempted to cross. So we just got word that migrants have been apprehended at the border, so we're gonna go check it out. All right, so these are the migrants who were just nabbed at the border. They say they're Syrians. We know that in previous waves of migration, the majority of people have not been from Syria. They're coached by the NGOs, essentially trying to overthrow uh, the Hungarian government and by human smugglers to claim that they're from Syria because then they can get refugee status. But we don't know where these guys are from. What the fuck? Yeah, that was super fucked up, right? Yeah, that took a hard right turn. What the hell? Um, at first I was like, oh, he's filming these people being victimized by border police. But then it like got worse somehow. Yeah. Do you think these guys signed a release to be in this documentary or no, he has the footage here of these two migrants who are apprehended by the Hungarian border guards and then goes on to, to explain that they claim to be from Syria, but we don't know where they're from because NGOs coach people to pretend that they're from Syria so that they can overthrow the country. What did you say before? So many leaps. Uh, Sometimes the simplest explanation. Yeah. And he, um, he told this story in his, in his speech uh, he gave in Hungary back in August about how they, they were there when these guys were apprehended. And um, he, he was, it was remarkable to him that they just uh, were politely escorted back out of, back out of the country. Like, sorry, you can't stay here. And how, how great of a system that was. He also furnished that with a story about how after they had sent the, the migrants away, one of the border guards picked up a, a piece of trash that was lying there because uh it was important to him that they keep a clean country. Um, I guess, I guess they didn't get footage of that. <laughs> it's not like it didn't happen or anything. Um, yeah, it, it's dawning on me how insidious this is. It's like Tucker's trying to convince his audience that there is no refugee crisis, that literally everyone who's coming is just like George Soros told him to come to abolish the white race. Yes. Like, yeah. Holy crap, it's yeah. so... And, and that's what I want to get to. He's immediately like, these people couldn't possibly be coming here for a valid reason. They're probably not even from Syria. They were told to come here by Soros-funded groups to overthrow the Hungarian government. That's horrible for a bunch of reasons, but one of the big ones is that it completely strips these people of agency. They're just pawns in like, some kind of power game between rich white people. Yeah. I mean, he would probably say that Soros isn't white, but... <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, as far as this thing about NGOs coaching migrants to claim that they're from Syria, people do pretend to uh, to be from Syria or somewhere else so they can claim refugee status if they're not. Like, that does happen. And, like, that makes sense, right? If If you are facing a lack of opportunity or some sort of danger and there's an opportunity for a better life somewhere else, but they're only taking refugees, you can be like, oh, yeah, I'm from there. Um, yeah, it just makes it, perfect sense. Yeah, like it's it's not surprising that people would do that. Yeah. Um, what Tucker is doing again is stripping their agency by saying that they're coached by NGOs to do this. And so yeah. I I wanted to know like where that was coming from, and I didn't find the sp- any any like previous instances of the specific claim that to say that you're from Syria, but I do think I know kind of where this talking point came from. In 2018. Lauren Southern released a, uh, a clip of footage she'd taken with a, a representative from Advocates Abroad in Greece. Lauren Southern is where I learned about the Great Replacement Theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know Lauren Southern, she's a real piece of shit. She's uh, absolutely a white nationalist. Yep. Like she was just like a conservative YouTuber for a while. And then she did what Tucker's doing. She did like a, a documentary about, um, I actually forget what country it was, but, um, and I didn't watch it, but like she got in really big trouble because it was just like overt white nationalism. And yeah, she like, left YouTube for a couple years. In 2017, Southern supported the militant white nationalist group Defend Europe in their efforts to obstruct a search and rescue operation for refugees from North Africa. Some North African refugees had been in a, uh, a a shipwreck, and this white nationalist group called Defend Europe tried to obstruct the search and rescue operation. And Lauren Southern was all for this. She went herself and like got a video of her yelling at a boat and tried to obstruct the operation and shit. <sighs> and uh, as a result, she was detained by the Italian Coast Guard for blocking a ship. And this also led to her getting kicked off Patreon for engaging in activity, quote, likely to cause loss of life. This is also what got her YouTube demonetized and uh, her kicked off PayPal. Okay. Um, in July 2018, she visited Australia for a speaking tour with Stefan Molyneux. Uh, yeah, it's like it, she's just she's all over this internet white nationalism. White nationalism friends, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and. Uh, and she released this this documentary in scare quotes called Borderless, which I think is what you were alluding to. And this 2018 video was uh, kind of part of the Borderless milieu. Essentially, she was secretly filming uh, workers for an NGO called Advocates Abroad, working at a, a migrant outpost in Greece. She got footage of uh, Advocate, Advocates Abroad's executive director, Ariel Ricker, talking about how... Um, They'll coach these migrants on how to meet the criteria for asylum in Greece. And the, the big headline that blew up from this in, in right-wing media was um, NGOs caught telling migrants to pretend that they're Christians to get asylum. What actually happened in the video? This is the quote from Ricker. We teach them how to keep their private trauma private because all this acting is a shield. I tell them this is acting. All of this is acting. It's all acting as though this is theater. So for them to get through, they must act their part in the theater. And that is the refugee in trauma, because these officers are so fucking stupid, all they know is what's written on the paper. The European Asylum Support Office says, this is a refugee in trauma. They have these characteristics. So we coach people how to have these characteristics. So what she's saying there is that the, the these, these uh, officers, immigration officers, have like a select set of criteria that the government has determined a refugee in trauma has these characteristics. So this advocates abroad group coaches the coaches refugees on what those characteristics are um, so that they, they will meet the criteria for, for, for refugee status. She isn't saying necessarily that like, Oh, we're going to dupe these dumb border guards and let these people in who are fine. She's saying that like, they're only looking for what's on the paper. It's it's essentially studying for a test. Yeah. How is this different from like getting job interview training? Yes, exactly. Right. And Lauren Southern put out that video and um, that's essentially where all this talk about NGOs coaching immigrants to lie comes from. Yeah. It, it, it's almost exactly the same. Cause if you, if you don't interview well, you don't get a job and then you don't get paid and then you die. So if you don't get accepted into a country as an immigrant, 
and you're forced to stay in in civil war ridden Syria and then you die. So it's just like one less step. Yeah, it's it's just a super high stakes <laughs> job interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, but like but that that's all a, like a job. Okay, job interview training and like business training and all that is just like learning how to at least for me, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, like in the business classes I have to take and stuff, it's learning about, it's learning how to lie to make companies like you yeah. until, until you get employed. And Tucker Carlson or Lauren Southern are making a documentary about how coaching kids on how to interview well is undermining businesses or trying to destroy businesses from within, because obviously yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. I just really wanted to let it stand how fucked up this display was. They put these guys on camera and like, we don't know where they're from. Yeah, very, very fucked up. Of moments, they were apprehended, processed, photographed, and then removed. They were escorted through a doorway back into Serbia. The message was simple. Hungary is a serious country that enforces its own laws. So we have uh, we have difficulties. We're back to his uh, interview with Viktor Orban and uh, serious challenges. First of all, first direction we got the challenges from is migration. The second one is the natural decline of the of the number of uh, our population. And the question is, what is the solution? Birth rates are declining. That's true in this country as well. It's true in Europe. The populations are literally disappearing. Most governments ignore this trend or instead import new citizens from the rest of the world. But we don't like that approach because we would not like to, after our personal life, we would not like to leave this country to the migrants. We would like to leave it to our grandchildren. Virtually alone among Western countries, Hungary has addressed the problem directly with a family policy. How to convince Hungarians to get married and have children? That's a major concern of the Orban government. They want to conserve Hungarian sovereignty and family policy is a big part of that. They know that there will be no Hungary in the future if we're not creating Hungarians right now. So we had Rodrigo at the end there. Um, this marks a bit of a shift in tone for the rest of the documentary. George Soros essentially is going to disappear from the narrative from this point. And, and this is where the whole thing started to really confuse me. It's like, why, why are they doing this? They're giving rise to these concerns about the natural decline of the Hungarian population as birth rates decline, which is the thing that happens in pretty much every country as they uh, industrialize and develop. People have smaller families for a bunch of reasons, you know, like your your kids are less likely to die and you you need you don't need like a bunch of extra hands on a farm. Um, big families are less compatible with like modern work life, which you can argue about whether or not that's good, but it's just like a fact um, yeah. and, and they're getting at this sentiment here. It's sort of like the Steve King tweet that you, you can't, uh, you can't preserve your society with somebody else's babies. This is very much within a replacement theory lens that this conversation is happening. Yeah. Um, um I've, I've always hated this, um, this like super racist talking point. Like as far as I'm concerned, if you live in a place like that's your country, Right. So if, if someone migrates to Hungary and lives there, which they they don't because they're not allowed to now, I guess. Um, but if that if that were the case, as far as I'm concerned, they're Hungarians now and like public policy affects them. 
Um, I mean, I, I can use the U.S. because people actually migrate here. Like, I don't care if you were born here. Like, if you live here and you utilize our institutions and you take part in society and all that. In fact, even if you don't do that, I, I think you're I think people are valuable based on the fact that they're people. But like they should have a say in how in how things are run because it affects them. Yeah. And, and the idea that there is some intrinsic unique quality of people born in Hungary to Hungarian parents that sets them apart from anyone who might move there and makes them more worthy of moral consideration by the government. Yeah. And like, you can only draw that line so far back. Like Hungary didn't exist X number of years ago. So like, (laughs) yeah, nations themselves are arbitrary. And so then like, if you really want to explore this, uh, this, reverence for for a national identity it's kind of inherently going to become a racial identity thing well race is made up so they race people who don't live here are some other race right yeah like that's the that's yeah how they develop their idea this is a really toxic idea and i'm really uncomfortable with just how casually they're engaging with it here like yeah that makes total sense that hungary won't exist if we don't increase hungarian birth rates so i don't know this is this is really just like extremely basic racist rhetoric <laughs> it's, it's nothing new or crazy it's just i mean it's people in america don't talk about hungary very often so that's like the only new thing that's happening here but it's like this it's basically what trump said in 2016 they're right Mexico's sending us their rapists. Yeah, so then uh, we're, we're moving here into this section on uh, on Hungary's pro-child policy. And this, this just gets really weird. Novak is Hungary's family minister. It's her job to figure out how to do it. We don't think that we have to import children in order to be able to overcome our demographic difficulties. But we think that we just have to concentrate on helping our own people to be able to raise their children. Novak is a trained economist. She's also a mother of three. The issue is very simple. Does it cost a lot of money to raise children? Yes. Do we have to support those who are raising children in a responsible manner? Yes. Our answer is yes. So we would like to enable young couples to be able to have as many children as they want to in the moment when they want to have them. As with the solution to the border crisis, the plan to increase the Hungarian birth rate is simple. Reward people who'd like to have children. So if we have a young couple and they want to raise children together, they can get a credit without an interest rate. It's quite a large amount of money. It's 10 million foreigns, which means like 30,000 US dollars. You don't have to pay it back if you will have three children. And they are willing to violate free market dogmas for the sake of defending the country. So we totally write off your student loan if you have three children. We have a full exemption, lifelong, from personal income tax paying for mothers with at least four children. You also get a a housing subsidy. If you want to buy a car, a seven-seater, if you have three children or the third child is on the way, then you are eligible for this uh, support. One morning, we went to a car dealership on the outskirts of Budapest to see if the incentives were working. (laughs) While we were there, we met one mother who was shopping for a new car. She going to be four. So it was at this point that I was like, this is just a commercial for Hungary. Yeah. 
I I'm almost on board with this. Like, but um, that lady Novak, I, I missed her first name. Um, said that we're doing this for people who are having kids in an acceptable manner, who are raising kids in an acceptable manner. Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of makes me think this is only for certain kinds of people and not for everyone who has kids. Right. Yeah. And we'll get to that. And, and this is, and this is being presented as the other side, because how they introduced this segment, Orban was like, we have two problems. The first is migration. The second is declining population rates. So they're treating this, this whole, this whole thing as kind of one concept of defending the native born Hungarian population. And so they have, they have two threats to that. One is declining birth rates. One is migration. They solve migration with the border fence and they solve declining birth rates by encouraging people to have kids. So this is a weird thing for me where like the ideological underpinnings of it are problematic, but I'm generally in support of programs that help people. So yeah, like same. I, I, I'm fine with like giving giving assistance to to families with children. Like that that's cool. I just yeah. I don't I don't like it being done under this framework of like protecting the purity of the Hungarian people. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think you pretty much nailed it. Like, I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but like, I. I think it's good when children don't starve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, in favor of children not starving for sure. Yeah. That, right. That is, um, I know it's controversial, but that is the official line of the Tucker Out podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I am, uh, I think welfare is good. I just know that this is not something that is being done for, for like, everyone it's just people who are following the state protocol and that's yeah. not that's not good it should just be for everyone because all kids are valuable even if they're not hungarian <laughs> yeah and this is going to be like a hungarian travel commercial over a few more minutes and then they'll explain what what the what the what the requirements are for like raising a family properly i just wonder if um if there's i think it's probably fair to say that most people want kids like if money wasn't an object, but right. I wonder if like, if you only get benefits from having three kids, like are people having more kids than they like actually want? I th- I feel like that could cause problems, but I don't know. I don't have any like evidence of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point too. Um, like the, they interview a couple of more families about how many kids they have and how much these subsidies have helped them. So I'm going to skip over that. Okay. Um, Welfare policies in the United States reward single parenthood, not in Hungary. Novak. Can- no, they don't. That's just welfare queen bullshit from the 80s. <laughs> it shaped Hungary's family policy to encourage marriage. In the developed countries, the, bir- the marriage rates are in general decreasing, not in Hungary. In Hungary, the marriage rate right now is twice as high as it used to be 10 years ago. So that means that it is the highest increase in the European Union as well. Instead of paying people not to work, in Hungary, the program is contingent on working. So you have to contribute yourself, you have to do your own part, but if you do so, if you work, then you will have all the potential uh, support in order to be able to have a family, to have kids. 
now after being gone for about a third of this documentary, Soros is back in the mix. So we're getting some scary music. Um, okay. <laughs> not, not a fan of the, of the, you have to work or we'll let your kids starve thing. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a, that's a problem in that thing. I was just praising. <laughs> Yeah, so let me tell you, what you really want to get in on the ground floor of is a fucking Hungarian daycare worker. Like, if every family has three kids, <laughs> they have to go to work. <laughs> You're set, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Profitable industry right there. Um, yeah, so then uh, we're, we're gearing up for the, 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 last, the last five minutes of this here. So we need to bring back in and the Georgie's boogeyman. back. Yep. Um, so <laughs> cue the scary music. The success of uh, and that was a clip of George Soros saying he's concerned about what Orban Orban's government has been doing in Hungary. Hungary's border and family policies has infuriated George Soros as well as many other Western leaders. Orban known for his autocratic practices. White, Christian, ethno-nationalist. Staunchly anti-immigrant. Viktor Orban, a right-wing authoritarian. Orban is kind of a tragic figure with authoritarian tendencies. Soros has joined forces with officials in the European Union to undermine democracy in Hungary. The Brazilian bureaucrats, you know, they are lover of the global approach. They don't like the national identity. They think that national identity belongs to the past. You believe you know better than Hungarians what they need. You are here today at the head of the most corrupt government, which is here in the EU. There is indeed, you know, like a, an obsession with Hungary. Rodrigo Ballester. Held- so they're talking to this guy, Rodrigo Ballester. Um, he used to work for the EU and now he uh, he lives in Hungary. And... So they're bringing him on to talk about how like people in the, in the EU think Hungary is so bad and authoritarian. It's great, man. Um, I didn't look too deeply into Rodrigo Ballester, but I did find his Twitter account, which is full of like anti-trans shit and things like that. Um, okay, makes sense that he and Tucker would get on. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's a reason he feels at home in Hungary. <laughs> yeah. Senior positions in the EU's bureaucracy for two decades. Recently, he moved to Hungary. I spent the last 17 years of my life in Brussels, mostly as a European Union civil servant. Leaked documents show that George Soros's Open Society Foundation maintains a list of hundreds of, quote, reliable allies in the EU parliament. That list includes committee heads, vice presidents, even a former president of the European Parliament. There is an la- absolute lack of political diversity among the civil servants of the European Union. Not surprisingly, the EU has waged war on Viktor Orban for his nationalist positions. Hungary is systematically portrayed as you know, the black sheep of the European Union. When I decided to move here, I think half of my colleagues looked at me as if I was moving you know, to, to North Korea or a place like that. So that uh, that document Tucker was talking about the the list of reliable allies in the European Union, um, that was another one of the leaks from from DC leaks, the Russia Front organization. Oh, this was supposed to be a secret thing. Yes. Okay. Um, and it's it's essentially uh, the Open Society Foundation had a list of people um, within the w- within different positions in the EU who were likely to support open society initiatives. Okay, that makes sense if you're a political organization. Yeah, like it, any lobbying group is going to have something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure that the Koch Network has a list of reliable allies in the U.S. Senate. 
and it's all 50 Republicans. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> With a little frowny face next to Mitt Romney. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's just like, it's, it's, they, they want to frame this as some sinister thing, but like, this is something you would expect a lobbying organization to do. And if you want to talk about how, like, we shouldn't have lobbying organizations exerting influence on global government organizations. Fine. But that's also not the argument Tucker is making. Um, I already forgot that guy's name that we just talked to. Um, Uh, Rodrigo Ballester. Yeah, that one. Um, I was tickled a little bit by his claim that there is a lack of ideological diversity in the EU, which sounds to me like, him admitting that his ideas are unpopular. Reporters Without Borders, a shill organization partly funded by George Soros, provoked an EU attack on Orban by accusing him of silencing opposition media. Once in a party, I met a colleague of mine who told me openly that in, in, in Hungary, you, uh, the Orban was jailing journalists, something that never ever happened. Attempts to curb the free media. He's gone to war with the media. It's fake. It's a lie. I went to the place where uh, the papers are uh, distributed and I asked uh, the shopkeepers to give all the papers which are criticizing me. It was like that, you know, far more against us than for us. So it's obvious on an everyday experience, the media is critical to the Hungarian government. So Reporters Without Borders put Viktor Orban on a list of media predators. And he is the only um, head of state in the EU who is on that list. Um, okay. Rodrigo Ballastar says that uh, reporters were never jailed in Hungary, which, as far as I can tell, is true. However, many reporters were um, explicitly driven out of work if they if they did not support the government's line. Orban made it made it difficult for. Um, opposition papers to monetize by limiting which papers that companies were allowed to advertise with. Um, and he installed loyalists at the head of most media organizations. At this point, Orban con- or- the Orban government controls about 90% of all media in Hungary. <sighs> Tucker claims that Reporters Without Borders is partially funded by Soros. And it-, it does look like they get some money from the Open Society Foundation but they have plenty of other funders and the open society foundation as a total of their spending allocates about 2% to supporting media organizations. So it's, it's, it's not going to be that much. That seems to be a pattern as well. It's just, he's not like George Soros is not like even that big of a supporter. He's just on the list at all. Yeah. Like it, it, if you can, if you can make that argument in any possible way, you can bet they're going to. Yep. Party Fidesz has used its parliamentary supermajority to crack down on Soros-backed NGOs. In 2018, they passed something called the Stop Soros Law that made it a felony to aid or abet illegal immigration. That law infuriated the international media. There is this growing phenomenon of illiberal democracy. These measures convinced the Open Society Foundation to close its office in Budapest. Globalist organizations around the world described the law as vicious and a, quote, calculated assault on civil society. 
So the organization they're talking about there that closed its doors in Budapest was the Central European University. Um, this was the university that Soros founded way back in the day. When, when Viktor Orban came to power in Hungary, he, he began cracking down on a lot of um, educational institutions. He installed party loyalists and a lot of leadership positions at different universities. And uh, there's also a loyalist who like approves research grant funding now. And he put a ban on universities that take endowments from, from entities outside the country, which was a direct attempt to force the Central European University out. Um, I'll link in the episode description a really good article about how this fight went because it's kind of an interesting story. Um, but essentially, they, 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 uh, they pushed this university out of Hungary, and that's what Tucker is alluding to there. The battle between George Soros and Viktor Orban is a contest of ideology, and it's far from over. The Western liberals cannot accept that inside the Western civilization, there is a conservative national alternative, which is more successful at, at the everyday life, at the level of the, than the liberal ones. That's the reason why they criticize us. So your success is a challenge to their worldview. In the spring of 2022, Hungary will hold parliamentary elections. Despite what you hear in American news outlets, Orban is not an autocrat. In fact, he stands a decent chance of losing. So what we have done here in this country with the family policy, the, the national pride and all that kind of things, it must be enough to convince the people uh, that there is a reasonable decision to support us and not to give the country to George Soros. The Hungarian elections will be the defining battle in the war between George Soros and Viktor Orban, in the battle between globalism and nationalism. Are you worried that there will be international interference in your election in, in Hungary? That will happen. I'm not worried of that. We are prepared for that. Obviously, the international left will do everything what they can do, probably even more, uh, to change the government here in Hungary. At the beginning of this episode, we posed a simple question. Just how do you defeat George Soros? The answer turns out to be simple. You need leaders who love your country, who care about its future and the people who live there. You need leaders who are willing to fight. So c coming to the end of this, I was really confused by this documentary at first because I, I was like, why did they make this? <laughs> why, why do we need to know? that Viktor Orban doesn't like George Soros. Like, because the, the Soros isn't actually, like, doing anything in relation to these elections. So, like, I, I didn't get the point. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I have figured out a little bit what's going on here. And it involves our, our friend Rod Dreer. So during his, uh, his initial visit to Hungary in April... Dreer fell in love with the Orban government and uh, started thinking, and th this comes from uh, an Atlantic article by Benjamin Wallace Wells, where he, he profiled Dreer. The title is uh, What American Conservatives See in Hungary's Leader. So Dreer started thinking, how can I get some of these ideas coming out of the, the Orban government to, get, to go mainstream in the United States? From the article. Dreer developed a very specific idea. 
he decided that the television host, Tucker Carlson, in Drew's estimation, quote, the most important conservative figure in America, should come to Budapest as soon as possible and see it for himself. He texted Carlson and told him so. Carlson wrote back and said that he'd been meaning to come over, but the effort had become tangled in Hungarian red tape. Drew made a point of telling government ministers that it would be good for Hungary if this important American journalist would come. Eventually, in July, the red tape evaporated, and Carlson spent a week in Hungary, taping episodes of Tucker Carlson Tonight, in which he visited and praised a chain-link fence across Hungary's southern border, and conducted an interview with Orban himself. Also praised the bullet holes. <laughs> yeah. let's, not, let's not forget. <laughs> so, uh, Raj Rear is the reason that Tucker went to Hungary in August. He texted him, told Tucker he should come see this place because he wanted him to report on how great Hungary was. Because he wanted to kind of mainstream some of these nationalist ideas into the American populace. Tucker said that he he would be interested in coming over, but there was some red tape. Dreer talked to Hungarian government ministers and convinced them to expedite the process to get Tucker there. So then... This is pretty overtly... Not to use the word, but propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Because then in, in this in this article, Benjamin Wallace Wells asks Roger, like, why, why did you feel the need to get Tucker Carlson over here? And Dre replied, to move the Overton window. So the idea Can you here... you be more explicit? Like- I know, right? Yeah, so <laughs> the idea here, th- this was something that Roger cooked up in his head. Man, Tucker Carlson is really popular. I should use his platform to get American conservatives thinking about how they can do what Hungary did. <laughs> like that, that's what's going on here. And so that makes the the way Tucker closed this documentary that they filmed in August make a lot more sense when he's like, Well, how do you how do you defeat George Soros? Well, it's simple. You need leaders who are willing to fight. Uh, translation, you need to elect leaders who are like Viktor Orban. So then that answers the question, why did they wait six months to release this? They were waiting for the midterms. Okay. Yeah, this is, uh, th- this is an electoral strategy to just try and push America toward authoritarian right-wing populism. <sighs> well, I think you, you cracked it, Troy. <laughs> I, I can't believe Tucker goes on about how the left is propagandizing to you and then gets flown to Hungary on like like as a guest of the state and films an advertisement for the country. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like this is coming out of that initial Hungary episode, we were like, it, okay, Tucker is explicitly a fascist. Like this isn't just a game of implication anymore. Like Tucker wants an authoritarian s- system in the United States. Yes. Um, and we see and he here... Wanted, he wants bullet holes to remind everyone <laughs> yeah. what happens when you disagree. Yeah, and we see here him and Rod Dreer playing a little game together to use Tucker's platform to try and make that happen, to move the Overton window in a direction where these um, more authoritarian populist ideas can be discussed in the mainstream. Th- this is a problem, and uh, people should probably be fucking paying attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, any closing thoughts on this documentary, Tyler? <laughs> Two thumbs down. Did not like, would not watch again. <laughs> not, yeah, not a fan. I, um, 
it it was a little bit less like frenetic and choppy than some of their previous documentaries. They're getting a little bit uh, getting a little bit better at the art of filmmaking, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is all we've got for this week. Um, a clear example of Tucker propagandizing in favor of uh, Orban style strongman. Um, he, he also donated to Marjorie Taylor Greene's campaign recently. So Tucker did, or yeah, oh, okay, yeah, because she is what the Republican Party needs right now. Well, I mean, she, I guess she kind of is, but the Republican Party is not what the country needs. <laughs> like she, um, she, she's the leader they deserve, and not the one they need right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, that's all I've got. Tyler, do we have a sworn enemy? Um, not to uh, be overly basic, but uh, I'm really not liking this Rod Dreher guy. Um, yeah, no, fuck Rod Dreher. Yeah, not a fan. Um, yeah, sworn enemy of him. Um, sworn enemy of uh, Christian private schools because Kayla sounds cool as hell. Um, and she got expelled. We support you, Kayla. <laughs> Vape and draw by flags as much as you want. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so we will be back next week. In the meantime, we do have a website. It is tuckeredoutpod.com. We're on and Twitter, at tuckeredoutpod. You can join our Facebook group, Wokaristas. Um, we have a Patreon where many generous people donate to us on a monthly basis. And as always, you can email the show with uh, any thoughts, concerns, or criticisms. Yeah, uh, tuckeredoutpod at gmail.com. We'll see you all Monday. In the meantime, do not watch Tucker's stupid documentary. I did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, try to enjoy your life despite the machinations of that wicked, wicked George Soros. <laughs> Uh, and thank you for listening. Fuck up, it's gonna get better.